0: the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. On today's podcast, I'm going to talk about traditional archery and my commitment to try and get back into it to the point where I'm able to feel confident actually taking the bow out on at least one hunt this year. I'm going to for sure do it in state to fill that tag. Potentially others will see, but it's not something I want to take lightly. I want to have total confidence, like I said, to not feel like it's a handicap and sort of that inside of 20 yard range. And I know that's a possibility, but it's one of the main reasons that I had set the bow aside in the past was that I didn't have that necessarily that confidence that I wasn't going to you know, screw it up and wound an animal. So in this episode, I'll talk about basically the process to get to that point between now and the hunting season, hopefully to serve as a guide for anybody else who might be wanting to get into it. I'll talk about the various tools that I have at my disposal, some of the training aids that I've bought, as well as the different kind of bows that I have available to try and work through both the training side of it and also the hunting bows that I'll be able to use. And then some of the guides and coaching references that I'll be able to point you guys to the ones that I found most helpful for myself personally, and then just sort of a timeline and plan in order to basically get from now what I'm doing now, what I'll do in the summer. And then as the hunting season rolls around, before we dive in a quick message about Spartan Forge. The app is available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. A huge feature is the Intel tab, which allows hunters to view the upcoming detailed forecasts in an area, including temperature, pressure, wind, and moon data. But it also provides the proprietary deer movement prediction algorithm, which is based on machine learning and collared deer studies. Instead of simply stating whether or not it's supposed to be a good or a bad day to hunt, it actually tells you whether. It's gonna be core area movement, transition area, or full range daylight activity. You can then use that information to help inform how you hunt that day. The app also has a built-in journaling feature and a fully featured map, which allows you to e-scout, navigate in the field, view property boundaries, place and manage waypoints, and view multiple different types of imagery. Use the code DIY for a 20% discount on a Spartan Forge membership. And with that, let's dive into the rest of the episode. So like I mentioned in the intro, One of the biggest reasons, I mean, there's a couple of reasons, I suppose, but one of the biggest reasons that I haven't posted a lot of traditional archery content and I haven't really hunted a ton with the traditional bow, at least over the last couple of years is just an overall lack of confidence in my abilities with that bow, even in close range scenarios. And it's not so much based on what I can do on a good day at the range. It's been more based on what does my worst day at the range look like? What does my worst shot within a group look like? because that's sort of how I gauge my forgiveness and my, you know, capability in the woods. If I shoot three arrows, the size of a baseball at 20 yards, and then the fourth arrow hits six inches to the right. And I can't determine why that happened. That's a big problem for me. And it, it kills the confidence. And even when I would have my traditional bow out in the woods, a lot of times, whether or not I you know saw a deer that day at the end of the hunt, I would you know, pick a leaf and, and shoot at it. And oftentimes i would be pretty close, especially on those 10, 15 yard shots. But, you know, occasionally on that first shot, I wouldn't quite hit where I wanted to. And then I'd grab another arrow and maybe, you know, try to figure out what I did wrong, focus on it. And then I'd be able to hit the leaf in the second try. But again, that's not something that I necessarily wanted to kind of have continue on. So I moved back to the compound. This is, you know, a couple of years ago at this point. To be able to continue hunting. And at the same time, hunting with that compound also gave me the comp- confidence to take a little bit longer shots, right? And when I'm just generally speaking, generally hunting, under 30 yards is sort of that same window for a compound that I would have with a traditional bow that would be a much shorter range. If you look at some of the Pope and Young data for normal shot distances for bucks that were entered, if you look at under 30 i can't remember the exact percentage but it's a vast majority and it's you know we've all heard that 17 yard average is you know what has been entered well if you look at the the bar graph and it'll give you like a percentage based on yardage range you know 0 to 10 10 to 20 20 to 30 there's still quite a number that are shot between 20 and 30 and if i look back at myself that north dakota buck i shot a few years ago that was probably 28 27 29 somewhere right in there uh, the buck I shot in Wisconsin that was right at 20. Uh, shot one in Missouri that was probably between 25 and 30. So point being, those were shots on the you know longer end of maybe what I'd feel comfortable with with traditional anyway. So with me making an effort to get back into traditional from a confidence in hunting standpoint, I don't necessarily want to you know I'm not going to define success as me being able to comfortably shoot just as well. And just as far as with a compound, that wouldn't be realistic. What I'd rather say is that inside of, let's say 20 yards or whatever, I set that distance at the the given day, I have the confidence that that arrow is going to go where I want. And I'm not going to have some weird flyer that I wasn't expecting or wasn't accounting for. When I had shot, when I initially got into traditional archery, I used very much like old school, traditional methods. Like if you look up the YouTube video, hitting them like Howard Hill, where they got kind of the swing draw, um, snap shooting, you know, type of hunting, looking at Fred bear videos. That was the stuff that originally got me into archery on the traditional side. And it was some of the technique that I tried to emulate, not knowing any better. Well, as it turns out, those styles of bows, like the, you know, hill style bows, And that shooting style is very hard to be repeatable, especially for somebody who's new in archery and a more target focused style is much easier to be consistent and repeatable, even if it looks less traditional. But there's a lot of guys that are using that target style of archery and crossing that over and transitioning that same form and some of the, the same key technical aspects into a very accurate hunting setup. And so that's what I had tried to do eventually, you know, digging deep into the form side of it and picking up things like a limb mounted clicker. Well, that tended to go pretty well, but eventually that limb mounted clicker also unknowingly caused me to start, you know, implementing shoulder pulling into my shot, which for those that might not be aware, it's basically a subtle difference between what major muscle groups are being used to fire a bow. Uh, I would venture to guess that a lot of guys when shooting a compound are probably shoulder pulling in some regards. Um, you get the bow back and then you're, you're basically pulling that, that, uh, elbow back in a straight line with the arrow. Like that would be the shoulder pulling motion. However, with more of a back tension style of release, you're not pulling your shoulder or your elbow back in the same line as the arrow. You're actually pulling it back behind you. And so there's a, a direction change in motion. The, the shoulder pull is more linear and the back tension is more angular. Well, that can cause long-term issues and injuries when shooting a traditional bow, if you have too much shoulder pulling. So that was just another reason for me to, to kind of take a step back off. And I started looking at slow motion video and my hand would fly way off from my face and it would seemingly end up in the right spot and kind of like a, you know, pseudo follow through, but I knew that something wasn't right. And I look back at old videos when I had done a coaching session with Arnie Mo and I looked at, you know, plenty of other videos of guys who were shooting traditional style bows with hunting style anchor points and I knew that I basically had to strip my whole form back down and build it back up from the ground level. So that's what I've been starting to do now. And to help me along in this process, I've acquired a number of tools uh, to kind of help for various things. And so I'll go some of those over some of those basic tools for you guys. One is simply a paracord loop. You tie the paracord loop so that you can hook your fingers into it and hold it up as if you're in full draw and be able to pull in back tension against that paracord loop and practice pulling your fingers through and working on getting a release that is more subconscious. A subconscious release is one of those really weird things in archery. It's like, how can you subconsciously let go of the string without your brain, you know, making the decision to let go of the string. Uh, but one of those drills that you can use is actually with a paracord loop is something that I picked up on the um, the Push Archery Center of Knowledge course with Tom Klum. And so that's probably the most basic easy like everybody just about has paracord on hand right so it's an easy one to to implement the next one that i have is a stretch band it's just a you know surgical tubing a little red colored loop with a knot tied in it and very similar to the paracord i can hold that thing back at full draw and work through my shot mechanics in a very light poundage setup but unlike the paracord loop which is basically no tension until it's tight with the stretch band i can actually work through the whole draw motion lock into back tension and then release the shot and then even with that stretch band it doesn't seem like much but when you look at yourself in the mirror and look at your starting points ending points and even use your cell phone to take some video what you think you look like when you're shooting and what you actually look like when you're shooting are oftentimes two very different things and what you actually look like when you're shooting can clue you in to what you're doing right or wrong in the shot. And then gives you that good feedback to try and fix it. The other one that I haven't actually used a whole lot, but I just ordered actually last night is a shot trainer. Uh, This particular one was uh, from the Astra brand uh, because I saw it used in, you know, some of the U S Olympic training cycles. I don't know if they have some kind of a a sponsorship with us archery, but a lot of the guys in the U S Olympic team have mentioned this particular shot trainer It's basically a piece that attaches to your elbow and then has a small uh, piece of cordage that goes off and basically wraps around the string where you'd release it. It's a, a short length of line, but it allows you to come back into full draw. And when you come back into full draw, that piece of cordage that is attached to your elbow and attached to the string is just ever so slightly longer than where your fingers are. And so when you let go of the string, that string will go forward maybe an inch when it's set upright, and then that cord will tighten. And you're basically holding the bullet back at full draw again. But what you'll notice with that tool is that if you're collapsing, you let go of the string and you're collapsing, once that cordage tightens up, and then you once again have that full weight of that bow pulling a- against that cordage, it'll really accentuate that collapse. And it'll say like, Hey dummy, make sure you're, you know, continuing your tension. And so an ideal shot with that shot trainer would be, you come back into your anchor position, you expand into that release and through that release and all the way through the finish position and follow through. And when you do that, you basically end with that bow almost in full draw, but you're still in a very strong position at full, full follow through. So that's what I'm looking forward to just using and implementing into that. Training system once again. Another one that's kind of a step up from the really low poundage stuff is a cheap recurve that I bought from Amazon, actually purely for the purposes of training. And this one, like the brand, is not important. I don't remember what the brand was. It was some cheap Chinese brand, probably about a hundred bucks for the whole thing. It actually came with a bunch of accessories and stuff, which I don't really use. But the key point with this one is that I bought that bow in a twenty-eight pound model and 28 pounds at my draw length, I mean, I can hold that back seemingly forever. And I can be very conscious at full draw and think about certain things without being worried about the bow trying to collapse me or or move me forward or whatever. It's a kind of a nice step up weight where it's more weight and more realistic shooting than some of the stretch band work stuff, but it's not quite as, you know, full throttle as a full poundage hunting bow. So it's a nice step up piece. And I've, I'm able to put a lot of reps in that. Even if I get tired shooting my normal weight bows, I can put in more reps and good quality reps with that lighter weight bow. And it's been really helpful to have. Now we kind of move into more of the the hunting bow setups. So the one hunting bow that I have that I probably won't do a whole lot more shooting with is the one that I had handmade several years ago. I have a YouTube video on it. It's a laminated, it, I call it a reflex deflex longbow, but it's kind of in a, a hill style or ASL style of bow where it's got a very small vertical grip, very long limbs. And the problem with that type of bow and this bow in particular, number one, that style of bow is not as forgiving and it's, I guess not as high performance. Uh, The performance is not, I guess a huge influence to me, but the, the forgiveness is, and not only is that style a little bit less forgiving, but the way that I built that bow It was a very heavy poundage because again, it was modeled after some of like the, the old Howard Hill, Fred bear type stuff where these guys are pulling very high poundage, you know, 50, 60 pounds, um, plus some even more to hunt with. And that bow has over time developed a little bit of a, a curl to the limbs. So the limbs are a little bit twisted. All that to say, it's not very forgiving and it's not very fun to shoot. It's got more hand shock. It wants to jump forward. So I just, I'm not going to shoot it that much. The other bows that I have, I have an Acadian Woods three piece tree stick. This one is a 64 inch bow that has again, a kind of a reflex deflex design. This one's got a 16 inch riser. It's got a little bit more mass than another one, but not as much mass as like a target setup. And it's just a, you know, like a work of art. This bow looks fantastic. And for that reason, I enjoy shooting it. And I really want to kill a deer with it. The, the one deer I have killed is with the, a different bow on the traditional side, which we'll talk about next. Uh, but that Acadian Woods three-piece tree stick, I have it set up to shoot off the shelf right now. And it's not as forgiving as some of the other setups that I have. But if I am able to get consistent enough with it to where I feel confident, even if I don't have quite the level of pinpoint accuracy, there's some aspect that would also push me to want to hunt with that bow because I like the bow. So I'll have to kind of weigh that into my decision-making process. The one that I have killed deer with is the striker RK one and the RK one I have set up with longbow limbs, but it's, again, it's kind of heavy right now. Those limbs are set up to where they're at my draw length, about 55 pounds, which is still pretty stout. Um, for someone by stature. I know there's a lot of guys that hunt with a 55 pound or even more bow, but when I'm really trying to put in a lot of reps and really work on the form and, and, you know, pulling through, you know, full expansion, all that good stuff, uh, it gets a little bit heavy. So it's because of the riser design, I think very forgiving for what it is. And what it is, is a lightweight bow that has a 16 inch riser, which is not super long in the context of traditional bows. But the grip is very, very, very similar to a compound grip. And obviously, I'm very used to shooting a compound grip. And the grip is pretty important. I've come to learn this. And I actually made modifications to that beautiful Acadian Woods riser where I didn't like the grip enough that came stocked. I, I actually took that riser and I put it up, up to a sander and I made modifications to it. I turned it into more of a lower wrist grip. I thinned it out a little bit. I added some uh, wood epoxy filler in certain areas to make it more similar to a more standard grip that you might see on like competition recurves or, you know, compounds, that sort of thing. But that RK1 has been very forgiving bow for me, despite only being 60 inches. Um, and in fact, at some point I'll probably get lighter limbs for it. Um, but not now the limbs for it are, you know, on the expensive end, they're probably about $800 for those RK1 limbs. So, in the context of that, I was like, you know what? I might as well add ILF to, to my setup at this point, because ILF, you can basically make as many changes as you want. If you get a good ILF riser, that'll suit a lot of your needs. Then you can buy 20 pound limbs. You can buy 60 pound limbs. You can buy longbow limbs. You can buy super curve limbs. You just have a lot of flexibility with an ILF riser. So I bought a riser that was on sale from Backwoods Composites, they call it their HIT-19 riser. It's a 19-inch riser, and it's got a lot more mass. A lot more of the mass is out towards the ends of the risers, which makes it a lot more stable. There's actually a video on YouTube that Cody Greenwood from the Trad Lab does with the owner of Backwoods Composites, and they kind of talk about some of the physics of riser design. So it just so happened that that bow was on, or that riser was on sale for like $150 off uh, when I went and looked at the website in a left-handed version. So I picked one up and also to pair with it, some fairly cheap galaxy superstar limbs. Like I th- believe they're Chinese. I don't, I think they, they're they either Chinese or Korean, but 36 pound limb and they cost like 120 or 130 bucks from Lancaster. Now here's the important note with ILF. And I didn't realize this initially was that most of the limbs that you'll see a poundage rated at, is based off of a 25 inch riser. And if you change the riser, you can change the actual weight of those limbs. A common rule of thumb is that for every inch shorter than 25 inches you go, you actually add poundage to those limbs. You add a pound approximately for every inch shorter. So for that 19 inch riser, that's six inches shorter than a 25 inch riser. So those 36 pound pound limbs that I bought, you can actually assume that those are going to be closer to 42 pounds of 28, about 44, 45 at my draw, which is about 29 and a half inches. So I've been able to quiet those down quite a bit. ILF is, I guess, quote unquote, known for being a little bit noisier. Some limbs are better than others, but I put some cat whiskers on the string and got the bow tuned, changed the tiller a little bit, which is another advantage of ILF especially if you want to try like a fixed crawl or some other, you know, style of string walking, aiming method, then the ability to adjust a tiller is very important. It takes some of that pressure off your bottom finger. The striker on the other hand is probably more suited for a split finger. To be honest, it's got a little bit of a positive tiller. Um, so even shooting that bow three under, you can feel a little bit more ring finger pressure than maybe would be ideal. Um, and for that, Recurve from Amazon, that's like a 68 inch bow, so I don't really notice it as much. It's probably, again, made for shooting split finger, but three under on that bow hasn't been too much of an issue. Plus, it's so light. Uh, but with the ILF, I pretty much have ultimate uh, capability there. And if I want to, and I don't think I will this year, but if I want to, I can spend more money for better limbs and get better performance these limbs I have now, I expect them to be pretty forgiving. They've seemed to be that so far. And even cheap ILF limbs have pretty consistent build quality and good performance compared to wood bows. But even on the ILF side of things, you can, I mean, there's limbs that cost upwards of seven, $800 just for the limbs. And there's also this realm of super curve limbs, which is, According to most people, not quite as forgiving as more traditional recurve limbs, but they're close and they're also higher performance. And some of the speeds, especially for heavier arrows that you get out of those super curves, are pretty impressive. So at some point, if I continue to really like that ILF setup, I may spring for a, a pair of limbs like that for hunting to get that extra performance and then allow me to get more oomph out of a lighter weight arrow or just my lower poundage and make it more similar to say shooting my, you know, RK one at 50 pounds or 55 pounds. So those are the bows i have at my disposal, at least for this year. Like I said, it would be really cool to hunt with that Acadian woods bow. Um, but my number two right now would be that ILF setup with the, the limbs at, you know, 42 at 28. So if I end up just being so much more consistent with that, uh, ILF bow, that's what I'll hunt with. I also will have the ability to set that one up with a fixed crawl. Whereas with the tree stick, that one doesn't have an adjustable tiller. So I pretty much am going to be shooting that one three under. So those are the things that will be weighing into my decision-making process. Uh, The Acadian Woods is probably a touch quieter right now too. Now, I made references to some of the training guides a little bit ago that I've been using, but I really want to drive some of this to people who might be listening and looking for a place to ask questions or get more information because these tools that I'll talk about right now have been really invaluable. One is the courses from the the push archery center of knowledge. Tom Klum has a course. He's a level four NTS instructor. And what Tom Klum does really well is he takes that, that NTS style, which stands for national training system. It's the same system that is synonymous with U S archery in the Olympics, uh, the coach Kisik Lee, that's like his system. And so there's some, if you get into really into the weeds, there's some differences between how like the U S does it and how the Koreans do it. And there's some like back and forth and debate about like, you know, which way is the best, but that style of shooting a bow is based off of consistency and longevity and injury prevention and using the right angular motions to basically guide that, that, uh, consistent release of the arrow. And so what Tom does really well is he takes that knowledge and he brings it back into more of a hunting focused world. And if you look at Tom shoot, he doesn't shoot with an upright bow and he doesn't shoot with, you know, under the chin anchor that might be more common with like a recurve archer on the Olympics uh, scale. You'll see Tom canting his bow because he's got an anchor that's higher up his face and he's, he's shooting hunting bows and so he does a really good job of bridging that gap between one and the two and showing that you can take what the best biomechanical positions are and apply that into the hunting world. Now that course does have a cost associated with it. In my opinion, it's well worth it, whatever you know that dollar amount is. Joel Turner also has a course, and his is more focused on the mental side of archery. And with Joel Turner's course, one thing I will say is that when joel got kind of known about and he started to become a bigger and bigger name in the archery world because i imagine most people listening to this or maybe at least some have not heard of joel turner at this point joel got started on some of the push podcasts at least from what i remember and then he started to get on a bunch of other you know smaller podcasts kind of you know proposing this method of mentally tying the uh the shot and reducing your anticipation and getting rid of target panic and getting away from target panic, preventing target panic from happening by having a mental blueprint in in place for how to execute a perfect shot and do that every time through conscious decisions. But what I've noticed in like the last couple of years is that even on the compound side of things and on the elite archery side of things, there's more and more people that are starting to step up and say like, Hey, this guy's legit. And this stuff really works. Um, at the Spartan Forge retreat back in Pennsylvania last week, um, Levi Morgan was there and, and he had talked about talking with Joel and working with Joel on certain things. And he actually had a really, I guess, fond opinion of his shooting style and his, I guess, mental, how he was training to handle the mental side of archery. If you listen to Levi's podcast, which is called the on the line podcast on his last episode, he actually dives into a lot more details. So I don't want to just put words in his mouth, go listen to to what he has to say. He actually talks about where some of that can be better or worse served based on his personal opinion and what style of shooting you're doing like 3d versus, you know, shooting at dots, but it's definitely a good listen. So make sure to check that out as well. Point being, Joel is also primarily a traditional archer his son primarily shoots compound from what I can gather. And his son actually won the Vegas shoot this year, which is one of the biggest mental focused archery shoots that there is uh, the most pressure. And his son's only 15 years old. So it's really good stuff. You'll learn a lot listening to what Joel has to teach. And because Joel likes to shoot traditional, he goes into the weeds on a lot of uh, different you know triggers that you can add to your traditional bow because you can't just shoot a hinge release you can't just shoot a resistance release with a traditional bow and just pull until the release goes off. Uh, you still have to connect whatever you're using as a trigger to your actual release motor program. So there's a whole lot of good information in there. Definitely recommend checking out Joel's course as well. Whatever that cost, again, I'd say well worth the money. If you're really trying to, to get into this and learn from the ground up. Another really great free resource is the Jake Kaminsky YouTube channel. Jake was an Olympic archer for the US team, uh, for multiple Olympics. And now that he's kind of out of the professional realm of shooting competition recurve archery, he has started this YouTube channel and started to go into a lot of different aspects, aspects of archery training on his YouTube channel, but also he's doing his own journey into barebow, which is, it's kind of like, it's not quite traditional, but it's, kind of a hybrid stepping stone, you could say between traditional, which is more like wood bows, shorter bows, higher anchors, and the Olympic style, which is, you know, under the chin, long stabilizers, long shooting distances. And a lot of guys that bow hunt also adopt very similar shooting styles, very similar equipment to guys in bare bow. So Jake is really good at again, just like Tom, taking the the learnings from the NTS system and applying them to that bare bow style of setup and talking about some of the really minute details in what it takes to tune a bow. He has a form series where he goes into the NTS, uh, kind of like Tom, but not in quite as much detail as Tom does. He has equipment series. He reviews limbs and risers. He talks about you know, plungers and tuning and arrow selection, shooting in the wind, like a whole bunch of stuff that you wouldn't even think to know of until you saw his videos. And a lot of times you might be having an issue and then you you find out that Jake already has a video on how to fix it. So very great resource to go and check out. Another person who has great free free resources on YouTube is Arnie Mo. Arnie Mo, which that first name is spelled A-R-N-E, is also a level four NTS coach. And he's been, he's had a couple videos that have been pretty popular out on YouTube for a while. Um, he hasn't been posting quite as much recently from what I can gather, but he's got some really good reference points there for again, the angular draw, the release bow arm, a lot of the basics. And what, what Arnie's good at is, is keeping it simple and telling you just what you need to know. And he shoots with that hill style bow in his videos, which like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is one of those less forgiving styles of shooting. So Arnie's another good example, just like Tom Clum, where it's like, Hey, you don't have to shoot a competition style bow to be able to shoot like a competition style archer. There's a lot of form stuff that carries over and you can take into the woods with you. And I actually, because Arnie lives close to me, you know, like a three hour drive, I went up and met him a few years ago to do a training session. And I was just looking at that video again the other day. And I was like, man, some of the shots look really good in that video. There's one of like 31 minutes where Artie himself says, Hey, go back and look at this shot. This is like, whenever you're having issues, go back and look at this shot and remind yourself that you can look like this. So that's exactly what I just did the other day. And it, it definitely goes to show that having a good coach, especially one in person, if you have that available is an awesome, awesome resource. But if not between these various, you know, other coaches that are online that I just referenced, you can definitely have like a really good level of places to go for good information and not misinformation. Generally speaking, it's oftentimes better to have one coach and stick with them if you're working with somebody in person. However, what I've found as being kind of like a, I guess a remote learner when it comes to archery for the most part, and like I imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast are, so if you're a remote learner then sometimes having access to multiple coaches that have the very similar style, like they're all, you know, level four NTS certified people. So they're all coaching the same stuff, but they have different cues and they have different ways of teaching it. And so you might watch a video segment from Tom Clum and, and Jake Kaminsky about how to hook the string. And a lot of it is, they're basically doing the same thing, but they explain it in slightly different ways. And sometimes one guy will say something in a certain way that just clicks with you where it didn't maybe click with the other guy. And that in and of itself is enough reason for me to basically look at both systems and then try them out and see which cues work for me and which ones don't a good feedback tool when you're working around your own is using your cell phone for that slow motion video, which for me, my biggest issue right now, it seems like I've, I'm able to maintain a good back tension, my release is not as clean as it could be. Uh, I don't have issues so much right now with like, you know, face contact or string slapping. Uh, But what I do have issues with is getting that release to be as subconscious as it could be. And a lot of times my hand will still come out a little bit. It doesn't come out like six inches like it used to, but it might kind of come out like, you know, an inch, inch and a half away from my face on certain shots, some more than others. And when I am working on the stretch band, there's basically no, Like it just looks crisp. And so that is my biggest focus right now is trying to drive, you know, through that various progression of all the training tools to get to that point where I'm able to get that nice, clean, consistent release on even the heavier weight stuff. Because it seems like generally for me, the heavier weight that I go, the more issues I tend to have, which is one plug for shooting a lighter bow, especially if you're really trying to make an effort at becoming better and making this a long-term progression Um, but also that tends to indicate to me that I probably still have a little bit of shoulder pulling in addition to my back tension which is not all that uh, surprising given the fact that I shoot a lot of compound but it's definitely something that I'm working on and so now that I've kind of gone through the list of tools and the list of resources my plan for basically taking where I'm at now which is getting pretty far along and rebuilding that shot from the ground up in actual hunting season is pretty much a daily regimen of shooting the stretch band and paracord stuff. Like I can do that in my house and it's quick and easy. I just pick one of them up and do a couple reps. It takes like 20 seconds. Uh, so there's really no excuse not to do that. And when I do that stretch band work, I can focus on, you know, one thing at a time. And if I want to, I can set my phone up on the counter and And I can watch just to kind of confirm that, you know, things are moving in the direction that they should be moving in and then continue to shoot at a comfortable amount at the range. What I mean by comfortable is that if I shoot too much, which is sometimes easy to do, I can start to get fatigued enough to the point where it's hard to maintain good form. And it's just like with weightlifting. You know, if you get past the point of fatigue where your form starts to break down, you got to stop. Like you're not doing much benefit at that point, it's better to switch to some other exercise to continue to build your um you know work capacity, endurance, strength, etc., rather than some technical compound movement. Likely for me that'll be shooting in the neighborhood of two to four times a week between now and hunting season. And over the next several months, I'll be very focused on again the technical side watching myself in videos and fixing whatever is the most glaring issue as it comes up. As it gets closer and closer to hunting season with at least probably a couple of months out, I'll transition to shooting more and more out of hunting situations. Hopefully by that point, I've gotten very comfortable, very consistent shooting at the range and have been able to really ingrain a lot of those motions to where some of the complexities become almost like second nature. And I can just focus on the more simple, bigger movements to be able to execute that shot. And then when I move into shooting it out of a saddle, shooting it, you know, in different positions off the ground, I'll again be able to carry over that confidence that I built shooting off a shooting line and feel very comfortable in a, a shooting, actual hunting position in the woods. And I think just from the way that I'm shooting now when I do go out to the range, I don't think it'll be a problem. I don't think I'll be at the same point where I was, you know, several years ago to where I wasn't 100% sure where my arrow was going to go. If I have issues now, and if I have an arrow that doesn't hit where I expect, I could pretty much always point to now exactly what happened. Oh, like maybe I collapsed a little bit on that shot, and maybe I just, you know, wasn't aiming in the right spot. That's probably the most common thing for me when I'm shooting shooting shots at the range right now is because I have a lower anchor in my face, my gaps or, you know, how far the arrow was beneath the target is very, very large. And so if I'm shooting a 20 yard target, the point of my arrow is like in the dirt in front of the target. And it's, it's kind of like inst- instinctive a little bit. I'm still aware of where the arrow is. And so I know what that shot sight picture looks like, but if I don't have it exactly nailed right, then that arrow might land a little higher, a little bit low shooting a lighter arrow can help with that as can moving your anchor higher up the face. But the downside of moving your anchor higher up your face is that it's harder to get into full expansion. It's harder to get into a consistent full draw position where you have everything in a line and you can repeat that over and over and over again. It's also harder to stay at full draw for a long time if you're not in full alignment. The other option is, you know, shooting longer arrows or with that ILF rig, I can shoot that fixed crawl with a negative tiller and that brings that point of that arrow, you know, much, much closer to where I want to hit. When I shoot that bow right now, I mean, I'm just, you know, stacking them in there for at 20 yards. But I want to continue to, again, drive some of the form issues to where I don't get stagnant and comfortable just to what my arrows are doing on the target right now. And then I start to fall back into some of these same old issues like shoulder pulling um, or face scrapes or finger pain or, you know, anything else that happens when you start to fall into some of those bad habits. So I hope that this uh, episode was, you know, maybe somewhat informative if you guys are just kind of interested in in what I'm doing on the traditional side, but also hope that some of those resources and tools that I threw out there would end up being helpful for somebody to look into if they're thinking about making the plunge into traditional and also have the mindset that they want to, you know, kind of dig into the weeds and do it right as opposed to uh, being like me you know, 10 years ago where I wanted to keep it simple and ended up creating a lot of bad habits for myself right off the get-go. That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening.